please do join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Luke chapter 4. We will pick up in verse 22, uh, where we left off from last week. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may Your Word before us be our rule. May Your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may Your greater glory be our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Here we are, week seven of knowing for sure the gospel according to Luke. Well, what's more important, the beginning or the end, the start or the finish? Well, some of you here were with us a few months ago for our series from Ecclesiastes, and you may remember Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Now, how you end matters more than how you begin. How you finish is more important than how you start. Um, I think some of you may have experienced a race where you stumbled at the starting line, but you ended up finishing. You may have had a hard time getting a, a project started, but in the end, you got it done. Well, today's text uh, will show us not just kind of the beginning, but the end, how, how people responded to the sermon of Jesus, that response that began one way and ended another, how the people initially and then subsequently responded to Jesus. Now, understand this, we're not saying that it's better, but it's better, like in terms of a morally or ethically better, but it's better because it helps us understand. The end is going to help us understand what's going on here with Jesus. Now, Last week, we looked at the first sermon of Jesus from Luke 4, 14 through 21. I just want to read verses 18 through 21 again. Verses 18 through 21. This is Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth. He stands up and he, and he reads from Isaiah these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then we read according to Luke's narration, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now this sermon, this first sermon of Jesus, is the one that Luke chooses to orient and frame Jesus' ministry. It's the lens through which we need to view and govern the way that we observe and understand all of Jesus' ministry. We saw last week that Jesus preached the gospel. He proclaimed the good news to four kinds of people, the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. And we saw that the ministry of Jesus directs and models the ministry of the church. There's a word ministry. There's a deed ministry. There's 
This can be applied physically. This can be applied spiritually. We saw not only that the ministry of Jesus guides and directs the ministry of the church, but we saw some bad news. We saw our condition of being blind, owning nothing, being stepped on, and being in prison. But we also heard some good news that this is the year of the Lord's favor. That time of release and freedom from the burden and bondage of sin. Now today's text is the response to his sermon, the reaction of the congregation to his sermon. But before we look at that, let's step back again and remember Luke's purpose and plan. Remember from the first few verses of Luke, Luke is writing to provide certainty about the person and work of Jesus. Not arrogance, not overconfidence, but rather humble certainty and sureness. And he's got a plan He's writing an orderly account, a narrative account that is historically accurate, thoroughly researched, and well-organized. Organized to show who Jesus is and what he came to do. And if you go, if you have to go to one place in all of Luke, go to Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. And today's text, just like last week's and the week before and the week before and next week and the next week, today's text will help us get to know Jesus as he's revealed, as he's made known through Scripture. We're going to see today the movement from reception to rejection, from welcome to wrath. Uh, Look with me as I begin the first part of verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Jesus was obviously, evidently a good speaker. They they spoke well of him. They, They marveled at these words that proceeded from his mouth. But look with me, skipping down to verse 28. 28. They drove, they they were filled with wrath. They went from welcome to wrath, all in the synagogue. I mean, all spoke well of him, but now all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. What a transition from welcome to wrath, from reception to rejection. There's a movement of all speaking well of him to all being filled with wrath. Earlier, you heard from the New Testament reading, John 1, 11, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. We've looked at that in some detail in years past. In John 1, did not receive him. They rejected him. And if you want to look ahead as how this looks ahead, remember what took place on what we call Palm Sunday. Hosanna. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Praise, adoration, joy. A Hebrew expression meaning, God, save us. Save us. Less than a week later, many of the same people crucify him. Hosanna, crucify him. All speaking well of him. All filled with wrath. Now, why did this movement occur? I mean, what, how do you go from reception to rejection, from welcome to, to wrath? How? Um, look with me at the beginning of verse 28. When they heard these things, when they heard these things, well, what are these things? Well, we're going to look at the words of Jesus that word that's living and active, uh, Jesus' words, Jesus' ministry exposed them to themselves. Remember the words in, I think it was 1 Samuel, that God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Here's the Son of God not looking at the outward appearance, but rather looking at the heart. So why was Jesus rejected? How did welcome become wrath and reception become rejection? Well, Jesus exposed them to themselves. In his response to their comment, look at verse 22. And they said, is not this jo Joseph's son? We'll talk about that in a moment. But in response to their comment, is this not Joseph's son? Jesus is going to expose their demand, their hostility, and ultimately their unbelief. Jesus is going to uncover and expose their demand, their hostility, and ultimately their unbelief. So again... Let me read verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And we continue. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Here's an early instance in Luke's gospel where we see that Luke is showing us that Jesus is fully human, but he's fully divine. He, he knows what they're thinking. And we'll see that more clearly as we go in Luke. But in this desire to be shown here and now what Jesus had, or they had heard he had done in Capernaum, the largest city in Galilee, uh, not too far from Nazareth, they they were saying to Jesus, show me, prove it. We've heard, prove it, show me. We want to see the miracles. We want to see it with our own eyes. Let's stop for a second. Here's a danger, a danger that people, all of us are always Encountering, and that is this the demand for God to prove it. Prove it. I'll believe if you do this for me. 
I'll believe if you do that for me. I will believe what you say about yourself and other things if you will just prove it. Show me. They're putting, in other words, Jesus to the test. Jesus is exposing their demand for a miracle, for a sign, for proof. They can't base it just on what they've heard. They're not sure they believe it. After all, he's a hometown boy. Now Jesus moves on from this proverb illustrating a truth, this proverb of heal yourself. Oh, if you can heal others, like heal yourself, show us, prove it. He's going to move on from that proverb illustrating a truth to a statement of a truth grounded in the history of Israel. Look at verse 24. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now, who's a prophet? Well, a prophet is, a, is someone who represents God to the people, the, the, someone who proclaims the word of God. Uh, and in the history of Israel, especially in the books of Kings and Chronicles, where you'll see the narrative accounts of the prophets, God's people are often opposed to the prophets and they reject the prophets. And whether they be major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, whether they be minor prophets, the prophets face opposition from God's people. The prophets face rejection of the people. You see, Jesus is that hometown boy, but he is no hometown hero. Is he not Joseph's son? Because, you know, the rumors were, well, was, we know he's Mary's son, but is he really Joseph's son? There's a cynicism. There's a skepticism. In Mark, about this same incident, we read these words, and he, that is Jesus, could do, mo- could do no mighty work there. So not only is there a danger of demanding God prove it, but there's a danger of being hostile to God's word. Because what did the prophets often do? They confronted God's people with their sin. They they confronted over and over again, thus says the Lord, and laid out a case And not always, but often, the people were hostile. They rejected the word of God. But Jesus is going to continue. He's going to continue by drawing on two instances in the history of Israel as examples that at the root of the hostility that expressed, at the root of that hostility is unbelief. Because you see, Jesus not only exposes their demand, not only exposes their hostility to the prophets, to the word of God, he exposes their unbelief. Have your Bibles handy and be ready to turn with me to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. Um, 
We're going to look at Elijah and the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. Listen to verse 25. But in truth, Jesus says, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 8 through 16, really, is that encounter that Elijah has with this widow. And remember, the widow was instructed by Elijah to, to give him some drink, to give him some food, and she, she was poor, desperate, and said that she only had enough to, to kind of feed herself and her son for kind of one last meal, and then they were going to die. Are you crazy? How can I feed you? But Elijah wasn't deterred. He he had gotten word from the Lord, this is what you need to do. I'm going to provide for you, Elijah. I'm going to provide for you through this poor widow. And if you read the story or have read the story, you know she, she listens and obeys. She, she doesn't demand a sign. She doesn't demand proof. She believes and obeys and trust. She's in a desperate condition. She recognizes her poverty, her situation. She, she believes the word. And, and the story really has a, a happy ending. She believes the word before she sees. She is demonstrating walking by faith and not by sight. And this is a rebuke to the people of Israel, to the people in Jesus' hometown synagogue. Notice the word many, many widows in Israel, but then, but only to Zer the widow in Zarephath inside him. Let's move on to Elisha and Naaman the Syrian. You can find that in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman is the commander of the army of the king of Sidon, and he has leprosy, a physical illness. And remember, he initially, he's heard through a slave girl that there's, a, there's someone in Israel that can heal him. And he has his king write a letter to the king of Israel and they send that letter with his entourage. And then the king of Israel says, you know, am I God? Can I heal? But in the meantime, Elisha the prophet hears of this and asks for Naaman to come and says, Naaman, you know, wash yourselves seven times in the Jordan and you'll be healed. Naaman initially is, he doesn't like that. Are you kidding me? Aren't, aren't the rivers in my home country much better than this muddy water of the Jordan and his servants his servants have the common sense to say hey if 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 they had told you to if he had told you to done this big thing you would have done it right because you're desperate for healing 
All he said is just wash seven times? Come on, Naaman. They said it respectfully. They were servants. And you know what? He did and he was healed. He believed the word of the prophet. He believed Elisha. Notice the many and the only. There were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now, why this story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath? Why this story of Elisha and Naaman, the commander of the army of Syria? Because Jesus is saying, as in the history of Israel past, in the history of Israel present, when you don't receive the word of God, when you reject God's messenger, God passes you by. And he goes elsewhere. He goes to this pagan Gentile land. We saw that in our study in Acts, that the gospel goes out beyond the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. There's a lot of pride and prejudice amongst the people of Israel. A lot of pride and prejudice within that congregation, that synagogue in Nazareth. And just hearing the story, which they would have known well, of the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha enraged them. They were being exposed to themselves. They were being exposed as people who did not believe. Because the good news is for those who recognize their poverty. The widow of Zarephath recognized her poverty. She could only trust the word that was spoken. Naaman, the Syrian, recognized his captivity to disease his oppression. He was desperate. He believed the word. The good news is for people who recognize their, their blindness, their, their oppression, their captivity, their poverty. God saves those who have this kind of heart condition. And the good news is God changes hearts, doesn't he? There's a danger in trying to put God to the test. There's a danger of being hostile to God's word. And there's a danger, an ultimate danger of unbelief. You see that passage in Mark chapter 6 continues, and he marveled because of their unbelief. You know, when is Jesus astonished? When is he marvel? When does he just cannot believe it? It's when people don't believe. The danger of unbelief. Look at the action. Again, verse 29. They rose up. They drove him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. 
I hope that would never happen here. For any preacher, that the response would be to kill him. But that's what's going on here. Jesus went away. Look at verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went away. Luke doesn't tell us how Jesus escaped. It's probably not important for us to know. John in his gospel says a couple of times, his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. It wasn't time yet for Jesus to be thrown down. Jesus went away then, but later we all know that Jesus went to the cross. Again, that crowd that shouted, Hosanna, pray, God save us is the crowd that less than a week later shouted, crucify him. You see, the the last words of this congregation were more important than their first words. The end was more important than the beginning. The finish was more important than the start because it revealed who they really were. I mean, most people can make a good first impression. The issue is, what is that person like down the road? But Jesus being rejected, Jesus being driven out, Jesus going away is is good news. It's good news for us because the rejection of Jesus then is is our only hope of being received now. The gospel is so multifaceted that we've always got to look at it from this angle and that angle. It's that beautiful diamond. And one facet of the gospel is that when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus was rejected so that we could be received. Jesus went away. Jesus went to the cross. And we also know from Scripture that Jesus will return. A few chapters down the road, in a few weeks, we're going to hear these words from Jesus. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Elijah found faith with the widow in Zarephath. Elisha found faith with Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria. Jesus came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. You see, my friends, it really doesn't matter where you begin because some of us have really lousy beginnings, right? Right? And we're going to see that in Luke as Jesus seeks and saves all kinds of people. Doesn't matter where you begin, it only matters where you end up. The end is more important than the beginning. The finish line really is more important than the starting line. You see, beginning with Jesus is a recognition that he was rejected so that you could be received. 
And ending with Jesus is a recognition that for all of eternity, you will be with him. God with us. Emmanuel. Such great news. Such great news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this narrative account of a response to this sermon of Jesus. Father, would you give all of your people gathered here and indeed more and more people in and around Bellevue and Northern Kentucky, soft hearts that stay away from the danger of telling you to prove it, that stay away from the danger of being hostile to your word, that stay away from the ultimate and unrecoverable danger of unbelief. Father, be pleased to soften our hearts so that we would receive the word and run to Jesus over and over and over again. We praise you, Father, and give thanks to you so that because of the good news that that your wrath fell on him so that we could receive your welcome. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.